Warriors is Pete Moore on Halo Talks on location, Scottsdale, Arizona, with my friend Josh McCarter, who is the Chief Strategy Officer at Mind Body and has a uh, illustrious career as an entrepreneur hailing out of Southern California. So, Josh, welcome to the show. Great, thanks, Peter. I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you. Great. So, um, you know, what I like to focus on here for our audience is, you know, the the companies that you've helped build. You know, some of the uh, psychological, um, you know, situations you've had to deal with, um, you know, building small businesses and sometimes waiting for the market to catch up with what the software is and building teams and, and, and getting those prepared for, you know, creating the value and then being able to move it on to the next buyer. So maybe you can, um, you know, just start off with your background and where you went to school. And, uh, you know, I'm sure other people are going to, uh, you know, embrace, you know, maybe I'm Josh McCarter circa, you know, 2019. Yeah, well, uh, I went to school at, uh, at UCLA and I'd grown up in California. So uh, I ended up going to uh, to UCLA and uh, sold cars while I was going to school. So that was kind of my first way to, to learn about making money and learn about negotiating. And uh, after uh, after school, I went into a uh, import export business uh, selling really sexy things like mini blinds and door locks uh, down in Latin America it was right after uh, NAFTA went through. Okay. Um, totally nothing to do with the halo industry or, or technology. And uh, fairly quickly, a couple of years after that, I got involved with Auto Bytel. And so that was the first online internet car buying service uh, around 1996. I was like, oh, AOL dial up. Hey, you got it. Exactly. Things we were, weren't loading very quickly. We were, we were the car channel on AOL. And, <laughs> oh, that's right. And, and yeah, all the way that. going back to like CompuServe and Prodigy. Oh, I mean, that's geez. how far back it goes. Yeah. And uh, and so that was, a, that was the first time that I ever really got to know uh, technology and really see how you can use technology to transform an industry. And so that kind of like bit me as a bug to really look at, you know, what are the things that uh, that we can do as a business to really change industries? Um, so I went from there into uh, SpaFinder. And so SpaFinder was uh, at the time a travel agency and a magazine. And we thought there was an opportunity to take that and put it online, uh, be able to do online bookings, online travel, uh, primarily for destination spots within Canyon Ranch, Golden Door, those type of properties. Um, and that was at a time when, you know, the internet was still, you know, Google wasn't around in the, you know, late 90s. And so people didn't have a lot of ways to, to learn about uh, different spa properties. And so that's what we tried to bring online. Yeah. Uh, As you talk about that, because I yeah. think a lot of the the old school publishing assets, you know, really got destroyed because they didn't yeah. embrace technology. Yeah. What, what was going on inside of Spa Finder? Was it you that basically said, hey, we can you know, turn this into a digital play? No, it was, it it actually started, uh, interestingly enough, with uh, Pete and Susie Ellis. So Susie uh, has been in the spa industry for a long time, you know, has uh, tons of recognition through iSpa. She just recently founded, or 10 years ago, founded uh, the Global Wellness Summit and the Global Wellness Institute. Um, Right now is one of the kind of premier research and and networking uh, groups out there. And she had been in the spa industry for a long time, knew the folks at Spa Finder, saw, you know, what was happening in the internet. And Pete was a serial entrepreneur, started in the automotive industry, was the founder of Auto Bytel. And she said to Pete, hey, you know, this is something you should probably look at. And he started getting involved in it. And uh, I was at Auto Bytel still at that point. And uh, he ended up coming in, investing in the business. And, you know, over the course of a couple of years, uh, wound up taking it over. And uh, as I was looking to leave Auto Bytel, he said, hey, why don't you, you know, come and join me in this and, and let's see what we can do. 
Uh, so I went in as COO and, you know, we were still running a magazine. We were trying to build a website. We were trying to build online travel technology. And, uh, and it was a challenge, man, because you're, like you said, you had the old school publishing, old school distribution, you know, social media really didn't exist. And what we started building, ironically, as we're sitting here in Promotion Vault, is, uh, is we started building a gift card business. Yep. And so um, we got that up to, you know, $50, $60 million of, uh, of revenue. And uh, I think, you know, something like 20,000 spas around the world participating uh, in that program. So, so as you were, um, you're in the, in, in that spa industry, mm-hmm. you know, how many locations were like looking for you, look, looking at you to find, were you the, were you, did you create the demand or were they asking for this? Because I felt like in the health club industry, yeah. when, when Brian and I actually, Brian Mitchell and promotion, well, we were selling software. The health clubs back when they were hoping that the internet was going to be a fad, you know, <laughs> I and think then, a lot of people thought that. Yeah, and then we used to go to their house and like upload their class schedule because right. they didn't want to buy a DSL line and right. other crazy stuff. But but how much of it was you, you know, you know, selling a new car and saying, look, you got to embrace this, like it's yeah. coming versus, right. hey, I get what you're doing and and you know, you're the provider of yeah. it. Well, I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because huge parallels, obviously, in the early days of Auto by Tell with selling cars online. Like people just didn't even understand how can you sell a car online? It right. doesn't make any sense. How do you <laughs> deliver it? Like it just it didn't compute. And then in the in the spa industry, you know, I think that uh, the people were it, it was fairly slow to adopt new technologies. Um, I think if you look at you know uh, the vast majority of the industry. You'll still find a lot of places that are, you know, 30% of the industry is still on pen and paper. And same thing in, in salons, maybe even more in salons. And so, um, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, when you have an idea and you know that it's totally rational and it makes sense and you're sitting there banging your head against the wall and looking at your sales numbers, why aren't we like taking off like crazy? Everybody should have this. Right. And, uh, and a lot of times the market's just not ready, even if you've got a good product. Yeah. You know? I think um, some of, some of the things that, that I've learned over time is that uh, you can't force new technology on everyone. It's almost like right. a progressive yeah. steps. And yeah. um, you know, we, uh, you know, Brian and I used to try and sell software, and you got to do your class schedule online. You got to get your leads from the internet, and yep. until it really started to affect someone's bottom line, right? Or they felt like they were behind. Yeah, that's kind of when they when they embraced it. But but did you find that in the in the spa industry, was there any it was there any things to be done where you like let me do a seminar? Like I remember Mind Body back in the day used to like do Mind Body University. Yeah. Oh yeah, we still do. And, and it was basically yeah. a way to not just get people on the system, but it was a way to basically say like, look, you got I got a I got a spoon feed this to you because right. like this is you need to understand it. Yeah. I'm not selling you. I, I, like just come to the event. Yeah. Absolutely. So how much is that? How much of that? You know, do you feel like uh, is it was important for Spa Finder and right. is it just important in this industry? In general? Yeah, I, I think education across the board is super important. And, uh, you know, especially, you know, we're, we work in technology and we see how fast things change. And even for us to keep abreast of what's going on, think about like search engine marketing, right? How much that's changed in the last five years. Right. And so for somebody that's, you know, kind of nose to the grindstone, building a franchise or building a location that's providing some type of service, whether it's fitness or wellness and beauty, um, for them to keep up to speed on what's going on is almost impossible. Mm-hmm. And so that's why education, I think, is so important. And, you know, there are a variety of ways to do that. So the Mind Body universities bringing people together. 
But what we see now is really even um, as people come into our kind of you know lead funnel is being able to segment them different ways and then target them with relevant content. So somebody that comes in that's thinking about, hey, I'm, I'm six months from opening. Okay, let's give you content about what does it take to open a store? What do you mm -hmm. do three months ahead of time, two months ahead of time so that we help them you know, prepare for opening? It's not about the software. Right. You know, it's really about what does it take you know, to uh, to be successful when you open your business. So I, I think I think content, um, you know, they say content is king. Right. And, and we have a lot of ways to get that out mm -hmm. now through social media and email marketing and websites and so forth. So so obviously, you know, in, in at Booker and at your, you know, at MindBody, there, there's a big team and there's a, there's yep. an infrastructure and, and there's an understanding that, look, we got to create that content and invest in that. So if you're if you're advising an entrepreneur it says, look, I got a limited amount of resources. Yep. You know, how, how do you think about when someone's kind of bootstrapping their business and say, yeah. look, I've got this software, but you're really not going to be able to sell that unless you do like X, Y, Z and kind of right. play the long game. Yeah. You know, how do you, what, what's the best way to maybe tell someone, you know, look, this, this is a, a path. Right. And there's really no way around it. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it, it really depends upon the entrepreneur themselves, right? Because some people, like if you're a Elon Musk type entrepreneur, you're the face of the company, you're out there really, you know, setting the trends, telling people where everything's going. In other cases, there might be an influencer in your industry. There might be somebody that you've connected with that's a great consultant that really knows that uh, particular industry. And so that's what we did at Booker because we didn't have the kind of resources that MindBody has. So okay. um, we identified some good influencers. We piggybacked on research reports that were going out. We used our data to create, you know, information that we were able to pass around the industry. So uh, we could talk about gift card sales during the holidays. We could talk about the average price of a service in, you know, this town versus that town. And so you can kind of create your own buzz and your own authority um, frankly, with not a ton of money. So you were, you were basically doing like when there was an insert of a bar chart or a, yep, a, exactly. a graph. Infographics. It was like, like uh, yeah, we, we use like mile-long infographics with all of the you know, <laughs> different trends. Uh, but it's a great thing to, you know, like Monster back in the day, they had their jobs report. And that's how Monster got so big and was so famous. They were going on, you know, CNBC and talking about what they were seeing with jobs and new postings. Yeah. And that was all their own internal data. Right. And so, um, again, if you're a tech company, ideally you have yeah. some data that's, that's valuable. Well, that's interesting because a lot of people in the in the software space talk about, like, I'm going to sell the data or, like, I own yeah. the data. A number, and, no. and, and I, I guess... If I meet 10 companies, every one of them says they own the same data. Yeah. So it's like 10 times the amount of actual data. But, but you're, right. it's an interesting point that you make is that don't use the data and think someone else is going to buy it. Use it right. basically to build your own brand equity yep. and marketing engine. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So MindBody just released their wellness index for uh, 2019. Okay. And it's all about analyzing the data that exists in the system. So it's about, you know, frequency of bookings. What are the healthiest cities? Uh, and so that's a great, you know, something for somebody to actually go out, look at. They can find it online right now uh, and get a sense for what you can do with with data that's in your system. Right. And, and then basically MindBody is the de facto authority mm -hmm. because exactly. they provide that data. So they're the and yep. then they're everyone else who uses that, yep. you know, has to source them. Very so similar to uh, the Global Wellness Summit and the right. Global Institute, Wellness yeah. Institute. Uh, they put out a report that is on a global basis looking at trends in wellness. And every year, Susie comes out with her top 10. And it's picked up on the Today Show and CNN and everything else. And right. she started that company 10 years ago. So, you know, that didn't exist at that point. Yeah. Well, how do you um, think about, you know, as you were running Booker, 
how do you get people to understand that you know the industry is not ready to to eighty percent of the industry is not going to embrace this. So once the software is built, yeah, you know, you know, kind of manage your expectations. Yeah. And what I usually tell people when they come in and they're frustrated, I'm like, look, you, you can't be looking at this on a monthly basis. Like you got to know that every month you're making progress. Yeah. Like focus on progress right. and focus on like what people are saying and how they're using it and listen. Yeah. So how did you manage your team, you know, for over eight years? Yeah. You're running Booker to say like, look, we're doing the right thing. We're not the biggest guy on the block, yeah. but like we're, we're making progress and keep people motivated. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I mean, I think first of all, um, having a solid culture and having alignment on values that you're bringing the right people together so that everybody buys into the mission, they buy into where the company's going and they believe in the opportunity. Because if you don't believe that at some point this is going to turn and it's going to become something big, then it's really hard to motivate people and, and pull them along. So I think, you know, at the very beginning, it's all about let's make sure you got the right team and make sure that you're building towards the right product because you're never going to have the right product on day one. And frankly, as you know, product changes, it needs to be invested in and change every month. And so, um, you know, what uh, what we did is, is we looked for some anchor tenants or anchor, you know, anchor partners right. that we could work with, some that are clients, some that are partners, things that help you kind of establish your credibility. Um, we spent a lot of time speaking at different trade shows, so we would become the voice of, at the time, it was online booking. You know, right. we were the ones that, because we were a SaaS model, whereas most of the other players at the time uh, were installed systems, uh, we were the only ones that were able to do online booking. So we talked about the benefit of online booking and the millions of customers that are going online and how natural it's going to be for them to want to transact we had a corollary that we could point to with OpenTable and said, hey, you know, think about OpenTable, right? People were not booking restaurant reservations five years ago. Now, right. I can't remember the last time I called a restaurant for, yeah. you know, making a reservation. Sometimes if I want to go out to eat, they should just have an open chair. <laughs> I can just show up on a, right. on a floor top right. where there's, there's an empty seat. There you go. Or maybe that's like a so, another social uh, yeah. idea. Exactly. Um, one, one of the things I found in, interesting in the industry is that your clients, I'm sure you experienced this, so I want to get your take on it, that your clients become your friends. Oh, yeah. And your friends, Absolutely. even though that you're selling your software to their competitors, they're yep. more than happy to, one, serve as a reference. Yeah, absolutely. Two, like you can use their logo in your marketing materials, yep. where I don't know if any, there, there are certain industries where uh, in consulting, as an example, like they won't disclose, you're not allowed to disclose your, your that yeah. who your customers right. are right. or your clients. Um, so talk about that because I, I think entrepreneurs in this space need to really understand that when they do get a key account, yeah, like you really have to cultivate that because they are a big part yep. of your marketing opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, truthfully, to this day, one of the best things that I do is spend time with our customers. I always get energized anytime I go out and spend time with a customer. I either learn something about the industry, I learn something about them personally, or I learn something maybe about our software that's not you know nailing the hitting the nail on the head. Sure. And, uh, and I think there's no better time to be spent than, than you know, with your customers. Uh, so I, you know, I, I would say there, there's a handful of, of companies that I can highlight. So in the very early days, Drybar uh, was one of our customers. They only had uh, two locations and uh, things were not going well. They, you know, they would call up and scream at my uh, support reps. And uh, we got to a point where we were basically going to fire each other as, you know, as a client and as a vendor. Uh -huh. And uh, fortunately, they were in Orange County where I was at the time. And I was able to get together with the CEO, 
we had uh, you know a long talk about how we could make the the partnership successful, mm -hmm. and uh, and ended up coming to terms on on how that would take investment on their side. It would take investment on our side. And you know, fast forward now, probably six seven years since that discussion, there are 120 plus locations. Uh, you know, really created a category, mm -hmm. and uh, and now you know, kind of across the executive team there, I consider all of them friends and uh, and enjoy every time you know we're able to get together. And so that's a perfect example of where, you know, one marquee customer that we have has helped us push and really own as Booker the entire dry bar industry or blow dry bar industry. Um, and at the same time, it shows you that sometimes when you think that, you know, all hope is gone with a particular customer, that the best thing to do is reach out to them, engage them, you know, kind of if, if it's the right kind of customer and right kind of partner, put your cards on the table, have them put their cards on the table and see if you can if you can come towards a path forward. Right. So one of the, uh, I think the flaws of, of um, starting businesses is people, but let's just, we'll create an example in the, in the industry where there's an installed software company and I start up a company and I'm going to go try and go after their largest client. Yeah. Where instead of, you know, instead of trying to do that and, and try and take from someone else, given that we're in a, a growing market is yep. to, can you identify the, the, the dry bar yeah. that's at two right. that, you know, has, or like retro fitness would be interesting as an example where they had um, gotten some private equity capital. They had about 80 locations and you knew that they were going to grow because of the business model that they were in, that, that they had institutional funds. And if you got that account, you know, they were up, they went up to 150. So you can basically right. ride the wave of a franchise or, or you can ride the wave of a great concept that gets capital. And I don't know if people necessarily are thinking that, you know, let's start small, but let's kind of, yeah. if, if I'm going to allocate time, well, actually our, our friend who, how we met, Brett Keith, yeah. who's um, a buddy from business school, he always harps on me like, what's your, Pete Moore, what's your return on time? Mm -hmm. And if you think about like being a software company and you've only got a, a limited amount of resources, right? you know, if you could, you know, you're not only getting the account, but you're making a bet yeah, that absolutely. someone's going to grow. So yeah. how did you, yeah, like Drybar, you know, might've been, that, that might have been one in a, yeah. a thousand, but right. as you look at opportunities, do you sometimes look at them and say, well, I think that this software company, th this client, you know, is going to be a big client one day. They might not be now. So how do you think about that more? Not, not necessarily related to your current right. job, but just saying like in general, like adding that to like the criteria list. Right. Yeah, I think there's, you know, there's several components to it. You know, what one, I think it, it really comes down to the founders and the founding team. Like, what what are they the type of people that can actually go build and scale something? Uh, you know, you probably see the same stats that I do in terms of the number of whether it's fitness or beauty and wellness businesses that start and are closed two or three years later. I mean, right. the numbers are staggering. If, if you looked at that, you have to be crazy to open one of these businesses. because sure, you got like a, a restaurant. Yeah, right? you got a 50% <laughs> chance of being out of business and losing half a million bucks, you know, three years later. Right, right. And so, um, so I think it really does ha have a lot to do with the idea, the brand, the culture, the experience, all of those things that come together um, that really make a, you know, a company or, or product a, a company. And so, um, so that's definitely part of it. Um, you know, also some things that, that we've seen location makes a huge difference, right? Like mm -hmm. if it's a, in a prime location or if it's somebody that says, you know what, I'm going to go save a few bucks on rent. I can't go into the prime location. I'm going to go kind of on the back street. Those businesses don't usually make it as, yep. as fast. Um, how quickly do people ramp their revenues? That's another 
uh, indicia of being able to say, hey, you know, if this if this company's you know kind of puddling along at three to five thousand dollars a month in in sales, and they've done that for a year and a half, the likelihood that the something switches and that becomes a twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollar a month revenue business right. is pretty slim. Whereas if somebody you know gets going and they start building their platform and they've got the right product, they got the right experience. Um, they figured out the revenue model. Um, you'll see those businesses get to ten or fifteen thousand dollars within the first year to eighteen months, and so those those are the kind of things that you know I would say are are worth looking at. There's also a segmentation issue that I, I think a lot of people, especially on the software side, um, underestimate. So you you made a, a perfect analogy of you target the biggest customer that's on the installed software because you know there's a lot of pain because of the installed software. But the difference between supporting an enterprise business, you know, 100 locations, even the difference between supporting 50 locations and five locations is massive. Yep. And so um, so that's something that we learned along the way. We, we started out on the Booker side um, focusing on international hospitality accounts. That was part of the SpaFinder heritage um, because those were the advertisers with SpaFinder. So as that product, the online scheduler started to be built, that's who we targeted initially. Um, and then what we, you know, what we realized is, you know, now all of a sudden we're supporting accounts in seven different languages, VAT taxes, international 24-hour support, and you know we're a company with a few million dollars worth of revenue. <laughs> that was not a smart move, right? right. And uh, and so um, so what we had to do was really refocus on, okay, who who is our target customer? What does our product serve the best? And then build out from there. And so when we when we did that, we really started focusing more at kind of the U.S. day spa market, and um, you know, single to kind of ten location was really you know where we were. But we also tiered a little bit higher market, like up market. So we weren't going for uh, the businesses that were just kind of like a solopreneur. It was a you know somebody that was a makeup artist or, you know, a booth renter in a particular salon, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what we found is it's really important to segment your customer base by some metric that makes sense for that industry. It could be, you know, the number of customers they have. It could be the revenue that they're generating. It could be number of locations. There's a variety of different metrics that people can use to determine what's the right customer segment for them to focus on based on what kind of revenues can they get, what kind of retention can they get, uh, LTV to CAC ratios, all of that type of stuff. And did you actually say no to people or you just didn't target them or didn't? So we, we um, what we did was we got religion. This was a great thing that one of my uh, investors from Bain uh, brought over. So uh, Deepak Sidwani was on my board. He led our series B at Booker. And, uh, you know, Bain had invested in, you know, hundreds of companies over the years. And one of the things that they started really focusing on as, a, you know, back in the day, LTV to CAC, nobody spoke about LTV to CAC. Now it's like you can't even talk about SaaS <laughs> without knowing what that is. Right. Um, but back then, you know, 2012, 2013, that was not common parlance. And part of what uh, they got us to do was to start segmenting different cohorts of our businesses as they were getting onboarded because we were just going for a land grab. We wanted the number of units. We wanted to be able to say, we've got 10,000 locations, right. 20,000 locations. And as you're adding them, your revenue grows quickly. But then if you look at the cohort that you signed in January, there were one to two employees and how many of them exist at the end of the next January, it's probably like 25% of what you sold. 
And so you have the same marketing costs, the same sales costs, the same support costs. In fact, in a lot of cases, more support costs because smaller businesses a lot of times aren't as technology savvy. They don't have, they've got a lot of turnover in their own ranks anyway. So you're constantly retraining people. And so what we, uh, you know, what we ended up getting religion around was, hey, you know what, we're really not going to target those people. We had drop downs in our lead forms that would ask them key questions. How many locations, how many employees. Um, and so we started seeing at the top of the funnel that we were losing, you know, or filtering out those type of customers. Uh, and then the other thing that we did was we just uh, wouldn't give our salespeople credit when they sold them. And so that was a major disincentive. Interesting. Yeah. So the, the sales team needs to have certain goals. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. We used to, um, there, there were some health clubs back in the day, and it's probably still going on now, where if you didn't get a second form of payment, you couldn't get a commission on that yeah. that membership. Uh, right. So if they had a credit card number, you had to get an ACH, or if you had to get credit card, you had to get credit card number two, and you got paid on a fully completed that's interesting you know, yeah. membership agreement. Yeah. Um, look, not necessarily SaaS in this industry, but just SaaS in general, software as a service. Um, we we've been working on a deal, a separate deal, and we we met with several investors and. One of the things they kept mentioning to us, which I, it really ingrained in my mind of like how powerful the SaaS model is when you are the mission critical software, Yeah. when people are logging in. So it's not a bell and whistle that they might use, but you're basically controlling that interface. So when you, th when you thought about back at, at Booker, you know, what, what do we want to control? Like the, they obviously have to check into the reservation system, but as you yeah. thought about, you know, and I ran a software company and we went down so many rabbit holes of like bells and whistles that we should add, like online fitness nutrition programs yeah. and, you know, notifications for whatever it was. Right. Like, But that wasn't mission critical to, you know, them running the business. Yep. So, so what are some of the things that you either dealt with or thought about to say, you know, to kind of stay, stay true to who you are and to say, yeah. look, if I had that bell and whistle, like we just might be adding like another tech, yeah. you know, rabbit hole instead of like saying, this is who I am. Right. So I, I think there, there's a handful of things. So um, the company started out as literally like an online booking extranet. So that was it. So think back to the early days of online travel right. where you would load your inventory into an extranet and then that would be sold online. That's what we built for. That was the very first incarnation of, of uh, Spa Booker, okay. it was called it the, at the time. And what we found was that it became kind of asynchronous with the business management system that they were using. 99% of those at the time, this was back in 2007 when this first kind of kernel of software was developed, um, the vast majority of companies were on installed software or pen and paper. And so um, you couldn't, you didn't have APIs to go and push and pull, pull data from. And so that was when we realized, hey, if we're going to be serious about this, we actually have to go compete with the installed software and really look at what are the key components that drive that kind of ERP system within uh, within the spa or salon. And so as, as you go through it, um, and even thinking about what does it take to power online booking, right? It's it, If you start just with that, it almost tells you what you need to build. Mm -hmm. You need to build staff management because you got to know who's working when, what services do they provide. You have to have a menu, what services are available, how much do they cost, how much, uh, you know, how much time do they take to be performed. You have to have a CRM system because you need to know who's making the booking and, and who's showing up. 
uh, you have to have a uh, point of sale because at the end of the day, you have to close that transaction somehow, right? Mm-hmm. And so that that was really, you know, kind of the way that we started thinking through what did we need to enable online booking and then also enable uh, in-store, you know, uh, the in-store experience. And so um, from- and this, and this was before like AWS and like- Oh uh, yeah, yeah. No, this was like, <laughs> this was Rackspace or yeah, like, Rackspace you know- Rackspace at the at cl- Center. Your closet with the server in it and uh, you know, a couple on fans. On-off button if, yeah. it, if it didn't need a reboot. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. <laughs> Much so, harder than the average day, just development as uh, people should realize it. No, point. I mean like, you, you know, and, and the cost of connectivity back then, just, you know, putting a T1 line in was thousands and thousands of dollars a yeah. month. Um, so yeah, things have definitely gotten better. But, you know, you you also, as we went into new industries, we realized, okay, well, now we're going into salon as an example, um, how much, how different salon was from spa. And there were, you know, all sorts of different things. And where we drew the line was really, we had inventory in Booker, because if you go to a spa, you're probably buying lotions and and creams and everything. Um, But when you go into salon, you also have the whole concept of back bar. So the the professional products that are being used how are those accounted for in the services? How are they, they deducted from commissions? So there was a whole thing around that that we had to build out. And meanwhile, we had on a whiteboard this beautiful marketing product that we wanted to build. And we had various fits and starts at it and ultimately could just could never get, a team would work on it and they'd get an MVP and then they'd be put onto something else. Right, and right. so- what, what ended up happening with that is we, you know, we recognized that we were never going to build it. And so I started looking for somebody that already had, but that was very early stage. And so we, we found a company out of uh, San Francisco that uh, was only, I think, six people at the time uh, called Frederick. And they had built a yield management technology around pricing. They had built uh, a kind of a messaging system for confirmations. They had built ratings and reviews. And so it really packaged up all of these different services because our, our pitch to the, to the spas and salons was, you know, you buy Booker to, to run your business on, but we have so much great data and tracking capabilities in here. We know that, uh, you know, that Johnny hasn't been back for a service in six weeks, so we should target a message to him automatically in the background. And that's what the Frederick product enabled us to do uh, without having to go build everything out. And so I think that's yeah. some of the things is, really understanding what are the needs that your customers are telling you, how much development capacity do you have, where does it make sense to partner, where does it make sense to buy? Yeah, one, one thing that um, that's interesting, so let's focus on this for a minute, is um, in this buy versus build, you know, a, a number of entrepreneurs that we work with say, well, I've never paid that much for that company. Like yeah. I could build that for a million bucks. Right. So my, why am I going to pay $10 million to buy this? And, and I don't think they fully appreciate that you've got a team that's been working on this and they're learning every day. Yeah. Some nuance of the business that you're not necessarily going to pick up. Right. And you got to think about, you know, your, your acquisition of Frederick as an example is like, yeah, of course we can go and build it in a year, mm-hmm. you know, and then we're going to figure out what's wrong with it for right. another year. Right. And then we're going to have to go and sell it. So, you know, w- without going into what your current day job is, but yeah. when you were at, at Booker, you know, how did you get, how did you get other people comfortable with like, yeah, we're, we are overpaying for this, but yeah. we might actually be paying the right price because right. we're going to take so much loss yeah. in time and energy and, and, and cash yeah. by trying to get to where they are. 
Well, I, I would tell you in the in the early days of of the Frederick deal, when we were first uh, looking at it and talking with the board, I did not have a lot of support because it was the exact dynamic that you're talking about, even sub million dollar revenue business, um, with not a lot of uh, with not a lot of clients, but but some really great uh, great technology. And so what what we did is is we just started performing modeling a lot of different scenarios. So it was what would the cost to develop this would be, what would the time to market be? What are the trade-offs that if I had to go develop this that I'm not gonna be doing here because it's not just the front end devs, it's the product people, it's your CTO, mm -hmm. it's your chief product, like that entire group is involved. And especially if it's a big lift, like something where you're saying, hey, I've got software for running your business, now I'm gonna have software for growing and marketing your business. That's a completely different you know, DNA and mindset and approach about how do you develop that type of software, as is if you were going to go do a consumer play, right? Like it's, it's just different DNA. And so, um, so what we were able to do was show these different scenarios where we, and we had fortunately just come off of a capital raise, so we knew what our multiple was. And we said, look, if, if you play this forward here, take high scenario, mid scenario, low scenario, and you play this forward three years and we hit the low scenario, we're still going to feel like that was a good deal, mm -hmm. you know, based on the, how you structure the deal and, and so forth. And so I think that that's a, you know, that's one way to get over that is, is really being able to show it in the data. And obviously there's a million assumptions that you're making and somebody mm -hmm. could argue the assumptions, but that at least puts it into rather than a, um, well, I just disagree with the idea. It actually puts it into something you can have a conversation around. Um, and if you get other data points too. So clearly we had other, there were marketing transactions, marketing automation, you know, at the time was really hot. There were a lot of transaction data points that we could pull. Um, and we could say, hey, the difference between our business with one pony versus with two, right. you know, looks different. The growth rates look different. That can impact the multiple that we should be able to get for the business. And so there's there's kind of those type of different ways that you can move it around. So, you know, there's a couple of deals now that that are in the market and that are people are talking about. And it, sometimes it's it's hard for to get two entrepreneurs to agree and and say, look, we're we're better together. Yeah. And let's bet on each other. Right. As, as a unit. So when you were having those conversations back when you were doing the Frederick acquisition, you know, how important was, you know, the trust, the, the here's what the world looks like and, and we yeah. agree on what the what the future yeah. looks like. So we're, we're combined. You know, yeah. how did that alignment kind of take shape? Yes. And so how I, long did it take? You know, it, it didn't take that long. I mean, I, I would say it was under, you know, six months um, from conversation. It started out as a partnership conversation uh -huh. and then kind of quickly went into, wow, well, you guys are building what we want to build. Right. And, uh, you know, we've got nine or 10,000 customers that are in the space. And so, you know, we don't want to push you into those customers if this, this is a direction that we think is going to be fundamental to our strategy. And so that was kind of the, you know, initial conversation. And then the more time we spent with them, uh, you know, I go all the way back to the conversation I, I had earlier about values and about beliefs and about how you see the market unfolding. And like, if you, if you have alignment on that and uh, you have CEOs that are, that are willing to think a little bit out of the box and also recognize that in many cases, you know, bringing businesses together is the right way to go solve the problem. Sure. Especially in today's market where, you know, there's a lot of companies that are doing things that are fairly similar. There's a lot of cash coming into the industry. And so sometimes being able to, you know, put one and one together, you can get a three. That's great. Well, I think we've given people a good lesson plan on, <laughs> on how the past works and, yeah. and probably, 
you know, the future is going to repeat itself, maybe yeah. just with a little easier development tools and and uh, you know, the web services might be uh, yeah. get, get products to market quicker. Yeah, hopefully lower startup costs, because I think that that's, you know, that's the thing that uh, I've seen some charts that, you know, talk about what did it cost to build an e-commerce company in 2005 versus, you know, what you could go do right now. It's, you know, it's 75 percent less money. Yeah, sure. Well, I appreciate you being on the show. I think we've uh, delivered a fair amount of wisdom to the uh, audience here of uh, of the trials and tribulations of, uh, of running <laughs> software companies and making trade-offs, making acquisitions, and um, and building a real value. And that's what it comes down to. And that doesn't happen overnight. So hopefully patience is uh, pr- prevails and build something of value and someone's going to pay you for it. So Josh, Absolutely. thanks for being on and congrats on all the success. Right on. Thank you, Peter. I appreciate it. Awesome.